Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription. It's called David McWilliams Plus on Apple. You just double click, you get no ads, and you get me and John, pure and simple. And Mac, you get early access to episodes. Did you know that? Sure. My day is made. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time, middle of June. I have been watching various Irish weather sites. This John, weather site. This is a dilemma, John. When you put on a festival yeah. in Ireland, you become hostage to many eventualities. <laughs> but the main one is the Irish weather. Yes. Right? There's a very, very fine weather station. I believe it's Norwegian. It's a website called Y-R-N-O, which is highly accurate. I can give you those. Oh, really? There is the old Met Aaron. I am... Met Aaron are good. There's an extraordinary Met Aaron Atlantic Charts website. Yeah. Which is now what I'm on regularly. the chart. And the chart sort of shows the high and the low pressure out in the Atlantic. Can you read weather charts? Not at all. I can see them. I, I, see I, them I used to be able to do all the... I did a load of uh, meteorology in college. Yeah, did you? It's fascinating stuff. It is great Really stuff. complicated. Well, when I'm watching it, I'm thinking of Yates turning and turning in the widening gyre. This is the opening line of the second coming. Right. And the gyre is a North Atlantic weather front. And I am now watching these things. Right. Uh, not least because on this weekend, having good weather or having not wet weather. Okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, wet yes. weather, right? It doesn't have... It doesn't yeah, matter it if it's sunny. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. When you're, when you're putting on a book festival Wasn't and you've it, got big tents. It was a couple of years ago that there was the big lost, storm. We lost a tent. Yeah. And I had to... Yeah, this I is, this is a great Irish scene. I had to ring the priest in Dorky. To pray for the tent. Not to pray for the tent. The tent at this stage had disappeared into Dawkey Sound. We couldn't put it up, right? There was a sort of a, a bizarre... I, I'm also... I've decided I'm a great hater of the southern wind. All this right. This is what I'll tell you about him and again, right? Right. Because he brings all sorts of horrible things that I didn't know much about. In fact, we're going to talk about Joyce later on. Okay. And the southern wind blowing up the Irish Sea. We'll talk about that. But I had to ring the priest in Dawkey and beg <laughs> for the use of the hall, i.e. the big church. The you, church. I, I remember this. I remember arriving in Dorky into walking straight into a crisis and me looking around going, what the hell's going on? We've lost a tent. We've lost a tent. <laughs> not, not only did we lost a tent, it was a big tent. It was a 400-seater tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah, that was a while ago. And Father Declan, a lovely man, I rang. I said, Declan, how are you? He said, David, how are you doing? I said, I'm not great. He said, why? I said, it's 2 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. 
and an uncharacteristic storm has descended on Dougie. Yeah, has taken the hand our, of God. The hand of God has taken our tent. <laughs> Can I have the use of the hall? And he said, the big hall or the little hall? I said, the big bloody church. He said, fine. It's fair play to him. Yeah, and actually, was, yeah, no, it, was, it was great. He said, lovely fellow, Father Declan. Anyway, Dougie Book Festival. Yeah. This weekend, watching the weather, 75 events, 100 speakers, four days, flying stuff. We might talk about it later on, but that's what is worrying me these yes, days, John. Yeah. This is on my mind. Yeah, yeah, excessive, yeah. excessive worry about the weather, <laughs> weather fronts, gyres, and the whore that is the southern wind. The whore that is the southern wind. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shocking thing. Well, what about you? Uh, <laughs> After all that. How can I follow that? Jeez. <laughs> well, I tell you what I've been doing this week. I haven't been watching the weather, but I've been America watching. Oh, you love a bit of America. I, 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 I've kind of missed it a little bit, it, but it's because the the insurrection. By the way, John misses Trump just for the entertainment value. <laughs> actually too. But he's back in the news this week because some of the, of the reports are coming out about the investigation into the insurrection on the January 6th. Yeah. But but you can see now that like, Trump is banjaxed. He's absolutely banjaxed. And it's so clear that he was orchestrated the whole thing. He's and all the cryptocurrency of politicians. <laughs> <laughs> but the really interesting thing is that, which I didn't fully appreciate before, is that he's now turning on Ivanka, his favourite child. Or Ivanka, as Ivanka, he says. yeah. yeah. Uh, he's turning on her because she sided with Bill Barr, who agreed that actually the election wasn't stolen. So it's it's imploding and it's just going in one way and it's one to watch. And I'll come back to you about that. But also I was... It is, it's is—it's like the political equivalent of Ozark or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say, who is the Ruth Longmore in the whole thing? There'll, there'll be brilliant Netflix series all about this oh, in yeah. the years to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Defo, defo. But the other thing I was I was looking at as well was um, listening to Janet Yellen and her doom and gloom forecast for inflation in America. And yeah, no, no, it's, it's it's go on. But no, but what you're saying is like like inflation this week in America has hit a forty year high. Do you remember you were we spoke before about this forty year cycle that we're coming to the end. This certainly marks the end of this forty year cycle. Absolutely. Well, we are, we're in like, I, you know, I, I've always thought that economics goes in these large cycles. Mm. And what I've always found really ridiculous is this idea of annual forecasts, right? Yeah. So for example, as if there was an economic calendar, which synced with the Roman calendar. Right? Yeah, so yeah, you'd yeah. say, okay, in the, the first quarter in January, right? So basically the economic calendar has got nothing to do with the annual calendar. It's a much longer term, yeah. much more slow, much more evolving creature. And I always think it comes in these large, large sweeps. And one of those large sweeps is the fact that in the last 40 years, we have been in a period of disinflation. Not deflation, but disinflation, where inflation has been very low. Right. Okay. Okay, Yeah. So, and the reasons for that are multitudinous. There are many, many reasons. One is original central bank policy in the 1980s of very high real interest rates. Probably much more consequential has been the opening of China and India, expanding the global labour force right. by over 2 billion. And also the very rapid acceleration in the tech industry. Tech is, by definition, technology is deflationary. 
Yeah. And the reason it is deflationary, it typically technology takes out the middleman. So the idea, take, for example, something sure. like an eBay. What eBay actually does is it takes away the retail sector. Yeah. And the retail sector is where there's markup. Yeah. Right, so basically, you, you have a shop. Yeah, but you mark up. But eBay then is the middleman. eBay, but no, what they've done is eBay is the middleman, but it's taken out that retail and it's compressed prices. Yeah. So there has been this technological change. There has been this demographic change, which is China and India joining, and there has been a downward pressure on inflation from high real interest rates in the 1980s yeah. and to a degree the 1990s. So all of these things have come together at a time also. Companies have been obsessed with this thing called shareholder value, which mm. means that you actually squeeze costs all the time. And the majority of costs in any company are wages. Yeah. So you've had this, particularly in America, you've had this compression of wages. So American real wages for the average person haven't really risen since the 1980s. I would argue the same is the case here. Well, real wages have risen here quite dramatically in the last couple of years, but we're, we're in a totally, not in every sector, not in every though. sector, but we're, yeah, we're, yeah. In a, we're in a sort of a different. But let's look at the states because we're the states. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. So the states. So that was an ideology. Now, within all these ideologies, John, no matter how successful they are, and it has been successful in terms of the growth of the economy, is there's always the seeds of its own destruction, mm. and the seeds of its own destruction were inequality, right? So basically, as people who owned all these assets got rich mm. and people who worked for a living got relatively poorer, what you found was inequality expanded dramatically. And that has changed. So now what you're seeing is inflation is all about pricing power. Mm. Okay. It's not about global money supply or any sort of, a lot of things that the economists will talk to you about. So the monetarist idea is that if you print money, it will inflate. Well, that's proven to be spectacularly inaccurate since 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the idea that you print money, the state prints money, and therefore you get immediate inflation has been profoundly wrong for 14 years. Mm. But now you're, you're seeing inflation. But I think what you see is, is, is in pricing power. So labor in America is scarce. So they're saying we want higher wages. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got this Putin inflation coming from Putin. Yeah. All of this has happened at one time. My sense is people shouldn't panic. There's a huge panic going on now. Right, central bankers Janet Yellen, they're all panicking. They're, they're worried about the 1970s, etc. Right? But why? Why not? I mean, it's not the outlook doesn't look good. So why not? Panic? Well, if you if you look at the pendulum swing away from profits and towards wages, wages will always materialize in higher levels of inflation. Mm. And my sense is that if you think that energy prices are the cause, well, then energy prices will fall back to earth as soon as there is a truce in Ukraine. Yeah. And as soon as there is a way of financing gas that isn't Russia. Yeah. And ultimately, as we've been talking about the transition to clean energy, clean energy ultimately is cheap energy. Yeah. Renewables is cheap. So the outlook for global energy over a 10 or 15 year period has to be that energy gets cheaper, not more expensive. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that if wages rise, I think that's quite a good thing. And if profits fall, I think that's not a bad thing either because profits have been so high yeah. relative to wages. Yeah, yeah, sure. But what the Fed and Yellen are, seem to be profoundly worried about is the speed at which this adjustment happens. Yeah. So the way in which you should look at the difference between the government and the, the Fed is this brakes and accelerator, mm. right? The Fed always wants to put the brakes on the economy. The government always wants to push down the accelerator because a strong economy means you tend to get voted in, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's this battle at the heart of America, 
between the government mm. and the Fed. And of course, the financial markets now well, tend I, to be the arbiter, like they're almost like the referee. I wanted to ask you about that because I, I was reading here as well, like on Friday last week, the S&P 500 was down by nearly 3%, which yeah. apparently is, is huge. So people are getting out of the stock market. And I'm kind of curious, if they're getting out of that, where the hell are they going? Well, this is the interesting. So they're not buying bonds. So basically, remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that usually if the stock market rises, the bond market falls and vice versa. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. The problem now is people are worried about stagflation, which is this combination of lower growth yeah. and inflation together. That destroys earnings, but the higher inflation destroys the return to bonds. So you're getting yeah. bonds being sold off and stocks. And that's yeah. why there's a big kerfuffle in financial so, markets. So where, so where are they going? Where are they So I think most to? people are now, I would say, going to cash because they don't know what's going to happen in the future. But crypto? If you, if you be, no. Crypto, crypto's gone. <laughs> no, I mean, literally, I mean, Bitcoin's down at $27. Yeah. So it was up at 60 You know, this is, this is the slow death of a bullshit idea. Right. And when I say a bullshit idea, I mean something that is just, it's not money. Yeah. It's a speculative asset. And it's basically, if you buy crypto or if you buy Bitcoin, yeah, what you are buying is you're buying into an enterprise with no income. And if you buy into an enterprise with no income, there is no return other than you expect the next guy to come through the door to pay you more from the token. Yeah, yeah. So, And it was supposed to be this hedge against well, inflation. Well, a great example. Yeah. So one of the main economic thrusts of crypto stroke Bitcoin, I know they're different and the, the crypto people get freaked out about the difference between them and say you don't understand the technology. Well, look, these are tokens, mm. right? They might as well be cowrie shells. Right? They're tokens, yeah. right? Now, Or football cards. Or football cards, right? Mm-hmm. NFTs, do you remember them? Nobody yeah. fucking talks about them anymore. Yeah. Right. So these are these are end of cycle craziness. But if you accept that that there is a thing called fintech, in fact, I'm talking to John Collison this week, and fintech will change the world, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that means the tokenization of finance. It doesn't mean right. Yeah. So, with respect to a lot of the cryptos, basically, you were hoping that somebody came in who bought, which is what's mm, called mm. the greater fool theory. Yeah. The greater gobshite theory. There's a yeah. bigger gobshite down the road who'll pay more, right? So that is a part of the effervescence of any sort of asset that has no income. Yeah. And when an asset has no income at a time of extraordinary flux where everyone's reassessing their risk profile, the very fact it has no income means it's worth nothing. Okay. Its income yeah. is absolutely essential in times of uncertainty. In good times, where we're all pitching that tomorrow's going to be fantastic and next year, and don't worry about earnings, don't worry about profits, these old-fashioned things, right? Then you can discount income. You can say, well, you know what? This company's going to make a fortune in the future, so I'll buy it now. I'll hold on to it now. I'll do the, the ride from early investor to mature investor, and yeah. I'll make money. But once interest rates start to rise, once there's a sense of jeopardy, what everybody wants is income. Right? But the, the likes of gold doesn't have any income though either. But gold is, but gold has got use called, called jewelry use. So people buy gold. So half of India yes. buys yeah, yeah, yeah. gold okay. to wear it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. gold has always had this unusual. I, I haven't seen people wear Bitcoin yet. Okay. 
right? Maybe it's, it's going to happen. But so gold is this bizarre thing that it has a use, an adornment use. Yeah. And it has this hoarding. But what gives gold its value is the adornment use. Right. Is the okay. fact okay, that gotcha. it's always used as jewellery, adornment. Lizzie Windsor had a gold carriage the other day. She did indeed. Do you yeah. know what I mean, right? Yeah, she wasn't even in it she though. It was a hologram of her. <laughs> exactly. So that's the difference. In fact, if, if if people are interested in gold, a great book by Peter Bernstein called The History of Gold. And it's an amazing book. Right. Full of crazy detail, like the speed of camels in the Sahara Desert. Uh, Go so on. the camel transformed economics in the Sahara Desert. Right? So gold was made in Guinea. Remember we talked about this last yeah, week? Yeah, yeah. And it was brought up, was exchanged for salt. Yeah. But up until the emergence of the camel as a transport technology, it was very, very difficult to transport anything. Yeah, from, especially gold because it's so heavy. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. There's, there's great, there's great detail. I love all this. There's great detail in the book of the impact of the speed of the camel over many hundreds right. of years on trade. That's amazing. Yeah, it is good. So, the, so that, that would have affect directly the velocity of money. Money, exactly. Yeah. The velocity of the camel. Yeah. Right? So the camel <laughs> yeah, emerges. Exactly. The camel emerges. I mean, always been used by the Egyptians years and years ago. Yeah, yeah. But becomes honed by the, the Arabs. Yeah. Who actually, and of course, you know, in the same way as people breed stallions now, in the old days, they bred camels for speed. Yeah. But the speed was the ability of the camel to walk. And then, of course, you got the whole idea of the oasis and the difference between amazing. It's yeah. a fascinating story. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. So we digress. Yes, but again, the history of again. Gold, again, again. But let's come back to right now. My sense now, maybe I'm being far too sanguine, is that we shouldn't panic in the face of rising inflation. Not least because the foundational element of the inflation is the energy price, yeah. right? And that's feeding into food prices. But it's absolutely the case that inflation is going to have a profound effect on poor countries because poor countries spend a higher proportion of their income on food than rich countries. And if there is a food crisis in Africa or in North Africa, particularly North Africa is highly dependent on wheat exports from Russia and from Ukraine, the migratory impact of this is going to be phenomenal for Europe. If you're sitting in any Maghreb country and you're on a smartphone made in China and you see... Ma- sorry, Maghreb? Maghreb is... So Maghreb is all the Arab region, North African. That's what they call them. Oh, so Morocco, never heard Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, okay. Egypt, all these countries, right? right? Maghreb, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a great little wine bar called La Cave, just off Grafton Street. I know, I know. Down well, the hole, yeah. right? And we used to go there the years. Wine bar. We used to go there years ago to drink very late at night. Yeah, very fine place, by the way, run by people I think from Morocco. Right, and a, f- a poxy wine, but we still we could afford years ago. <laughs> used to come with a label. The label was made in the Maghreb. So oh, that right. meant the wine was so unspecific that it was made either in one of these yeah. countries. It's or a cheeky all little number. <laughs> it's a cheeky little florid <laughs> number. Okay, but Le Cave, shout out to Le Cave, great little spot, great little spot. Anyway, where are we? Inflation. Yes. Okay, so I think what's going to happen is the, if the Americans are really serious about bringing down inflation really quickly, they will have to put real interest rates into very positive 
territory. At the moment, inflation is 8% in America. Yeah. The bond yields are three. Yeah. That means real interest rates are minus 5%. So this is extraordinary loose monetary so, policy. So, so, so what do they need to do? What if they're really numbers? serious about it, they have to go to at least 8% nominal interest rates wow. or 10 So you'd have to have a positive real interest rate to bear right down on inflation. And that basically means destroying the economy. So there's no way they're going to do that. Now, this is where Jay Powell and Joe Biden could be absolutely at loggerheads. Because the last time that happened, Vocker and Reagan, Paul Vocker and Reagan, Mm. right? But Paul Vocker was doing Reagan's dirty work. Because Reagan's dirty work was to destroy the trade union movement. Yeah. Destroy the labor movement. Yeah. Right? So positive real interest rates for Reagan were a sufficiently high price to pay to destroy American blue-collar right. um, okay. trade unions because the American blue-collar was essentially the Democratic Party. Yeah. Teamsters, Hoffa and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Now, Jay Powell and Joe Biden are not on the same side. So Joe Biden's not all Scranton, Pennsylvania, blue-collar workers, right? Yeah. Jay Powell is a private equity guy. Yeah, yeah, They are yeah. totally different creatures, right? From but the Hamptons or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really posh. He's from yeah. Washington, but like his parents are really posh and yeah, all yeah. that sort of thing. So there are totally different sides, whereas Paul Vocker and Reagan were on the same side. But interesting, just to get back to the States, I've heard from people I know in Silicon Valley that the credit crunch is there. Right. That you cannot get capital. So Silicon Valley has gone from getting any owl gobshite with any owl idea could get tens of millions of quid. There's no capital there now. Right. right? Okay. So it's changed overnight. Big issue in Dublin, loads and loads of the tech companies are laying people off for the first time in 10 years. Right? So there's been right. a total collapse in the optimism of tech. Yeah. Right? The optimism, the effervescence, the idea that the world is changing. And of course, many of those companies use their share price as their balance sheet in effect. Mm. So their share price was rising. So they felt we can do this because we have this balance sheet, right? So they were using their share price as currency, yeah. either to buy other companies yeah. or to pay workers. So if you're you're like if you're in a Google sort of situation or whatever it's called now. Alphabet. Alphabet, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Spaghetti alphabet. Do you remember alphabet spaghetti? <laughs> I do. I used to love it. I so did I. Where's <laughs> the W? <laughs> Williams. Where's the W? <laughs> There's no W here, ma'am. Actually on that I'm gonna really digress. Andrea Catherwood's mother, you know Andrea, our friend, yeah. who's going to come to the Donkey Book Festival. She used to present Rumper Room. Do you remember Rumper Room oh. in BBC? No, it was in Ulster Television. Right, yeah, she yeah. She used to yeah. look through. She used to look through a tennis racket. Say, I can see, and the children be waiting. See, see, and I always remember. She even I spoke to Adrian before. She was, I can see Trevor and Victor and Ivan. There was no Shamey or Porrick. <laughs> Or Eamon. <laughs> All the Fenians were never seen in the North. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Back to the issue that what I'm saying is that the increase in interest is already having an impact on the frothier end. Yeah. And that is technology. And we'll see that impacting here because what's keeping rents up are all the high-paid tech workers in town. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there's Bloom with his knock-me-down cigar saying, <laughs> you how are you, Bosco? Yes. Did you see? I did. I did see, Mike, on the front page of Saturday's FT and the, the weekend section, Life and Arts Markers, full page spread on his essay on... Bloomonomics. 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 And a fair play to you. That's brilliant. It's a, it's a fantastic essay. Well, it's, it's an essay that is actually something I've been thinking about. You know I've been thinking about this for quite a while. Yeah. And it's an essay that explains, and it really comes to something that I've always maintained, that artists and entrepreneurs are of very similar mindset. Mm. And it stems from the fact that when I was reading Ulysses this year, remember I said I was going to read the whole thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And I did a lot of research. Did and you? I read a, yeah. <laughs> well, the hard bits, I got an audio book. <laughs> a fella called Jim Norton, a great actor, has got a fantastic audio book. So when you really get bogged down, yeah. I went to Jim's audio book and I listened to it and read at the same time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But it's really, really very good. You know, I mean, there's very few novels that end with a woman coming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I haven't. I see. I haven't read that. Too. Then, so you've just ruined the end for me. Well, I mean, that's that's the most spoiler ex- alert. That's a spoiler alert, but it is pretty impressive ending it to is. have been written. You know, hundred years ago. Yeah. You know, a woman orgasm is the actual end of the whole thing. So that's pretty impressive. It's fantastic. Okay. So anyway, the whole thing is is fantastic. But reading it, and then I read a fellow called Richard Elman's Joyce, which is the kind of definitive biography. There's also another great one guy, a guy called John McBride, an Irish guy, mm. who writes about Joyce and Trieste, those years, which are very formative. And then Declan Kybert, who's a professor of Anglo-Irish literature, asked me to contribute an article to a new book, which is out on Thursday, called The Book About Everything, 18 Artists, Writers and Thinkers on Joyce's Ulysses. And I wrote about- 18, not 17. 18, well, yeah, yeah, that's very funny. Actually, John's referring to it. It's quite funny. There's a review. I've always found that lots of Irish academia is very sniffy. And there's a review of this book in the Irish Times this week, of which I write for. And the only, and it goes through, it goes, there's 18 people have contributed. And it goes, it's hilarious. <laughs> Names 17 of them, not me. <laughs> You're left on the bench. <laughs> I'll talk to you about Irish 
some some of the nether regions of Irish yeah, academia yeah. and the sneakiness. But that's quite funny. It's, it's so blatant. It's yeah. such a. I've been ghosted by an academic. <laughs> yeah. we have a, you know that you know the the podcast. My agent ghosted me. My therapist ghosted me. I have to see my reviewer ghosted me. Anyway, but the the kernel of the issue is when Joyce had finished writing Dubliners mm. and he was trying to get Dubliners published for a long, long time. And he was beginning to despair. And he was living in Trieste. And his sister in 1909 said to him, while she was in Trieste, do you know, and cinemas were the big thing. We've talked about this before. Cinemas Mm. were the big, big thing. Do you know there's no cinemas in Dublin? And Joyce said, okay, I'm going to open the first cinema, right? Right. And there's a lovely, lovely image of him Remember we talked about the south wind, the whore that is the south yeah, wind. Yes. Okay, so the south wind, imagine, you know, between Ireland and Britain, we never think of it. It's basically just like a funnel. Water's funneled in yeah, from the course, Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. And when the south wind blows, it gets incredibly choppy because the south wind is blowing all this water, pushing all this water up through the Atlantic yeah. and then into this tiny little, tiny little funnel between Ireland and Britain. So it means that the, the sea gets incredibly choppy. And of course... The end of October, this is the 23rd of October, 1909, there is a tall 27-year-old lanky individual in a pair of tennis shoes puking violently over the side of the mailboat. I have been that man, you know, (laughs) on many locations. On the way back from England. That's because you're full of red stripe. (laughs) (laughs) And he comes home to set up the cinema. Yeah. And I was intrigued by this. I thought, hmm, this, this interests me. And I've always thought the type of mind that sets up a cinema and the type of mind that writes something like Ulysses are very, very similar. Mm. Because setting up a company is an act of defiance. In a way, you're waving your fingers at everybody say, I'm going to go out on my own. Mm. I have something to say. I have something to do. Writing a book is an act of defiance. It basically says, I'm going to do something better. And the mindset of the entrepreneur and the artist are very similar. They live in the world of risk. They're always in jeopardy. Nothing's ever secure. Today's success doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow's going to be a success. In fact, often success in the arts and in the commercial entrepreneurial world is just simply the prelude for failure the next time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to express themselves commercially. They have to express themselves. It's in their DNA. They're regularly kind of awkward people, not particularly, sometimes they're hard, hard to get on with, but at their sense, they are dissenters. Entrepreneurs and artists dissent from the normal run-of-the-mill world. Yeah. And this intrigued me. And then when I started to read Bloom, sort of read about Bloom, started to read about the character, Leopold Bloom, who was fascinated with everything, was a dissenter, was it as it was also the classic outsider. I yeah. mean, the great thing was he was a Jew by his father's name, but he was actually baptized three times. Once Protestant, once Catholic, and once for the crack. Okay. <laughs> so he was a complete outsider. Okay? But also what I thought was the most peculiar thing about him was that he was an ad man. He was an ad man. And by being an ad man, this is the absolutely you're right. By Joyce deciding that Bloom was an ad man, he put Bloom into the commercial world. Yeah. Right? He put Bloom into the world of dreams, into the world of value, into that extraordinary, unspecific world where the ad man lives, which is inside the head of the customer. 
Yeah. That's where the ad man gets yeah, his yeah, or hers. Yeah. They tell stories to people. And then you you watch Bloom and you watch the sort of interests he had and and the sort of way he looked at the world. And then at the end, there's an extraordinary scene, the third last chapter, right? Is Bloom with Stephen Dedalus, the young artist. Yeah. And they're in the cabman's shelter under Butt Bridge. Right. Stephen is locked. He's sobering up. He's been down the whorehouses. Right. Brothel, right? As too has Bloom, but he had a very bizarre dream in Bella Cohn's brothel. It's really great stuff. Mad, right? right? Yes. But Bloom gets Stephen and he's trying to say to Stephen, look, you're an artist. It's time to sober up. You need this almost, you're a bohemian, but you need this bourgeois discipline of hard work to actually go and write. Yeah. And he's saying that Dublin is... All these, all the whorehouses and the bars, they're just faux bohemia and they'll drag you down. And now you need to get your, get your shit together and write yeah, and finish your work and get away from this idea that you're the artist waiting for something to happen. You've got to make it happen. Yeah. You've got to be this entrepreneur. You've got to execute yourself. And it, how, how sound advice. It is really sound. Well, basically, so basically you've got the young Stephen and the older Bloom. Yeah. You have the young bohemian and the older bourgeois character but again bloom wanted to be bourgeois but he liked the you know the nighttime the seediness yeah and of course he wanted this have his proper marriage but he couldn't achieve it because at the moment his wife is sleeping with blazes boiling that's the whole <laughs> point of him being knocking around okay <laughs> joyce was very similar like he wanted he wanted to to have the the family life but he, he couldn't get it right yeah yeah he couldn't achieve it so there's fascinating things but i come back to this basic idea that the society, and this comes back to the way in which we run societies, dynamic economies are also dynamic artistic places. They're dynamic social places that dissenters make the world go round. These creative individuals who won't take orders, who don't want a job, who don't want a boss, they want to do their own thing. And societies that actually embrace those outsiders and what I would say confer dignity onto their efforts, yeah. tend also to be the societies that are unbelievably economically dynamic. And why is this? Is because expressing yourself morally or sexually or whatever you want to do, right, and commercially, are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, the yin and the yang. Yeah, and they're about freedom. And they're about an ability to say, I want to do something different. Mm. And in order to dissent from that, you need a society that's non-dogmatic. And I think this is what Joyce was doing by making his hero a Jewish outsider in a Christian city. Right. By making, all right, he's basically saying, I'm for the outsider. And he's also saying that I'm for the entrepreneur, the commercial quiz, as well as the artistic. And I think this is a message Mm. in the book. There are many thousands of messages, but this is a message in the book. And this is the thesis of the Financial Times article from this weekend. And just finally, John, on Dublin, if you look at the city that your mother was born in, your mother was born in the inner city, right? Yes, she was. If you look at the city that Bloom is, occupies, the city that Joyce created, right? It is an extraordinarily vibrant place with everybody living there, young and old, rich and poor, cultures and dubs, unionists and nationalists. Yeah, yeah. Jews, all sorts of people hanging out. And it's a vibrant living organism. And if you look at Dublin City right now, if you go into Dublin City right now, what you have is the soul is gone. Yeah. There's nobody living there. Only the hyper-rich corporate elite 
can afford to live there yeah. are the urban poor that have always lived there. There's nothing in the middle. Whereas Joyce's Ulysses and Bloom was all about the middle ground, hanging out with the poor, hanging out with the rich, doing their thing. And it is but amazing. But that, that was a policy that was that was pursued way back when they moved all the people from kind of Summer Hill and Gardner Street and just replant them in, in Talla. Crumlin. Crumlin initially. Crumlin, and then Talla, yeah, then and then Talla, Talla, yeah. Talla yeah, yeah, yeah. later on. But, but even but, still, nobody replaced them. Like it's not. No, but that, that's right, because my mother is, is talks. My mother's 90 next month. And she's these days she's harking back to her youth. And how Harker Street, wasn't she? She was both Harker Street and Camden Street. Yeah. And she always talked about the buzz. She also talked a lot about the absolute poverty in the tenements and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which wasn't particularly nice. But it was, as you say, it was a buzzing city. There was life in it at all hours of the yeah. day and night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, cities have to be alive. Mm. That's the message. And what is kind of interesting this Thursday You'll have all these Bloomsday things going on. And Irish tourism or Dublin tourism is essentially selling an image of the city that is suggestive that the city is alive with people, with people living over the shop. Yeah. With people. And you look at Dublin, it's derelict. Nobody lives in the centre of the city. Huge yeah. amount of places that could be lived in are left to go idle. There are sites all around the place which nobody's living on. There's no even buildings on them. Yeah. Lots and lots of yeah. buildings going to disrepair. And the city that Joyce loved and the city that we see now are two profoundly different things. There's one thing that Joyce did love. He loved Dublin. And maybe it's about time that we also started loving Dublin. Now, just before we go, we're going to end with a little treat. Proud dad Mac is sitting over there grinning, and so we ought to, because... This is Lucy McWilliams, the girl with the golden voice, her latest track called Medication. I'm so sick of medication I can't take it anymore I've been swallowed by my bed I think I'm dead And I can't get out I always make up situations That people tell me to ignore Everything that I regret is in my head And it screams so loud What does it feel like I've been waiting for a call? Maybe I'm stuck in the same trap after all I've been running around in circles and climbing up the walls But I think there's only one way out after life Stop this fall I've been drinking all my hope To help me cope Now the drugs don't work I wish this devil wasn't in me 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.